On this week's episode, I'm talking all about how to know if a skin lump needs removing. I'm then moving on to a puppy who has developed a lump after vaccination. And then finally, a dog who keeps needing regular anal gland expression. But for now, here's the intro. You're listening to the Dr. Alex Answers Podcast, the show that answers all of your dog and cat health questions so they can live healthier, happier lives. And here's your host, veterinarian, Dr. Alex Avery. Hi, and welcome to episode number 19 of the Dr. Alex Answers Show. I'm Dr. Alex, the veterinarian behind rpetshealth.com, and this is the show where I answer any questions that you have about how to prevent disease, how to keep your pet healthy, how to pick up on the fact that they might actually be unwell in the first place, and the things that you need to think about when it comes to treating them for whatever life throws their way. I'm really grateful that you're here, sharing your valuable time with me, and if we're meeting for the first time, if you're a new listener and you enjoy the show, then make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast. I've got loads more valuable episodes lined up that you definitely won't want to miss. Um, And you can also get your question answered just by heading over to dralexanswers.com and I can feature that on an upcoming episode. But for now, let's jump into the show. And my first question is from Stuart, who has an older Vizsla. And Stuart writes that Tucker has a wart-like cyst on the outer flap of his ear. It's about three millimetres across and round. Um, It's clean. It's not appearing to be infected. So how can Stuart go about removing this lump? Well, I'll start off by saying that really only a qualified veterinarian can perform an act of surgery on an animal. That's a a legal requirement. So I certainly wouldn't encourage you just to go chopping bits off your dog kind of willy-nilly. Now, whether this mass needs removing or not is the next question. And different types of mass, they do really need to be approached differently. So we've got things like skin tags or sebaceous cysts, which are benign lumps. And benign means that although they're they're growing in that local area, they're not going to spread to other parts of the body and cause problems elsewhere. So we've got benign benign masses like skin tags or sebaceous cysts. Um, Also, lipomas would fit into this category, which is a very common lump that we get generally under the skin of larger breed and especially overweight dogs. But these can all be safely left if they're not causing a problem. Other tumours though, so malignant tumours which are more nasty, they may be really invasive locally so they can kind of cause real problems with where they are or if they're kind of going to ulcerate, cause problems like that, or if they're going to spread to other parts of the body. So typically that's the lungs, but it can also be the liver, kidneys, and we can get tumours, kind of secondary tumours forming elsewhere in the body. So these tumours can need to be, you know, ideally need to be removed. And some of them will need to be removed with really wide margins. So you'll have to kind of go quite a long way outside of what the obvious tumour looks like, just to try and make sure that we completely remove that mass. Um, So when do we know if a tumour is a benign lump and we don't need to worry about it or if it's a nastier lump because of where it is or how it's growing or because of its potential to spread? Well, ideally, all masses that are larger than a pea, all lumps that are larger than the size of a pea or that have been present for longer than a month really should be checked out by your vet. Now, the quickest way that we can check that and your vet may be able to check that to let you know if it's benign um, in the case of a skin tag or a cyst is to do something called a fine needle aspirate or an FNA. And what happens here is we take a, a small, narrow, thin needle. Um, we pop that into the mass. We then try and suck up a few cells or we kind of move the needle backwards and forwards into the mass uh, kind of on a, a, a kind of in a rapid basis. And that takes a few cells from the mass into the needle which we then pop onto a slide and look at that under the microscope so that's a really well tolerated test so in the vast in the vast cases um 
we don't need to do any sedation. We don't need to worry about local anaesthetic or anything like that. A dog and a cat, they just won't really notice that it's that, that it's being done, that test is being carried out. Now, in some cases, for example, if a mass was really close to an eye uh, or a dog was really sensitive, if a mass was really sore, then it might be that that's not the best option and we need to sedate, sedate them. And then we can carry out a fine needle aspirate or an FNA or it might be that we want to take a further biopsy but that's a really easy simple and cheap test that we can do to see whether a lump is benign or malignant whether it's a little bit nastier now it doesn't always give an absolute definitive diagnosis meaning that we don't always get a specific answer and the reason for that is you can appreciate we're just taking a really small number of cells so it might be that we're actually missing the main problem area within that lump it might be that we get a little bit of dead cells for example within the middle of a of a tumor which is sometimes what can happen so we don't always get a very good answer but that's a really simple first step and then once we've got that proper diagnosis of the problem we can then move on to planning surgery so it might be that the surgery is not needed uh, it might be that actually yes we do need to do surgery and but more well, but we need to look a little bit closer. So we might need to take some samples of the lymph nodes just to check that the mass hasn't spread. Or it might be that we want to plan a really kind of more radical surgery just to make sure that we get the, the margins. Now, in Stuart's case with his Vizsla, a kind of a wart-like cyst on the outer flap of his ear, I suspect that that's going to be a benign lump. But there's no way that anyone can say that without actually looking at that. And it might be that your vet takes one look at it and goes, no, that's just a skin tag. We don't need to worry about it. Let's just leave it alone. So, you know, if it's if it's not causing any problems, if it's not growing um, and it's not a nasty tumour, then why actually remove it in the first place? We can just leave it alone and it's just essentially a cosmetic problem. So I hope that helps with deciding whether a lump on your dog actually needs to be removed in the first place and how you can go about finding out whether it is something that you should be worried about. And then before we get into the next question, I just wanted to let you know that this podcast episode is brought to you by the Our Pets Health Knowledge Vault. So this is the one place to access all of my free checklists, info sheets, calculators and ebooks, all designed to help you and your dog or your cat live their best life possible. So sign up today at dralexanswers.com and get your free access today. You're listening to the Dr. Alex Answers Show. Question number two is from Louis, who writes that we bought the puppy with his first set of vaccines, but we noticed that he had a bump on the back of his neck a week later. So we contacted the person that sold us the puppy and he told us the exact part of where the bump was. Um, and he said that was where he put the vaccine. But Louis wondering what he can do. Um, the, the, the person who sold the puppy said to put ice on to reduce the swelling. But Louis is a little bit worried and scared. So let's start off by saying that a small swelling after vaccination or any injection is completely normal. Now that can last for a few days to a couple of weeks or so. So it can last for, you know, quite a, a, a wee while. Now, if you are getting a lump or if you've noticed a lump on your puppy or your dog or your cat immediately after an injection, and like I say, that can be a vaccine, but it could be any any other kind of form of injection as well, then you absolutely could put a cold compress on in the first couple of days. And that can just help to reduce any swelling after this time. So after kind of two or three days, though, the cold compress isn't going to have any benefit. We want to switch to a warm compress and that will encourage blood flow to the area where it will bring all of the kind of the healing substances to that area to sort out that lump and to to get rid of it. Now, other vaccine side effects, I've discussed those in episode number six of the podcast. Uh, you know, but lumps certainly is one thing that we do get not too irregularly. Now, 
of course, it might not just be a vaccination side effect. It could be that we're developing an abscess. So it could be that a dirty needle was used or a poor technique was used. It could also be another skin problem. So it could be something like an insect bite, an allergy, a wound. Um, you know, it could even be a cancer, although in a young puppy, that's very, very unlikely. And you know, this kind of, I guess, raises one concern with potential issues with non-vets giving vaccines. So, you know, what's their injection technique like? How was that vaccine stored? Are they using clean needles or are they just reusing them on multiple um, multiple dogs, multiple puppies? Do you actually have any proof that it's even been done? Now, not suggesting that um, every puppy breeder is going to be, um, be dishonest like this, but, you know, those are all questions to ask. Now, if you get the vaccines done by your vet, then these are going to be more reliable. There's going to be more of a record of the supply chain for that vaccine they're going to be monitoring the fridge temperatures to make sure that the the vaccines are actually still going to work you're going to get a fresh needle every time you're going to get someone who's giving countless injections every day giving them so we're less likely to get things like abscesses and other problems there now as well as a vaccination you know your vet will also give a comprehensive health check on a puppy and that's always a good idea before purchase because you know you're going to want to know if there's a heart murmur if there's an umbilical hernia uh, if there are any other problems that you might want to consider before getting a puppy that might change your mind about whether that puppy is right for you and your family. Now, with this puppy, if the lump is growing, if it's irritating them, um, or if it's been present for more than a couple of weeks, then actually an aspiration biopsy or an FNA, a fine needle aspirate, like I've just discussed in the last question, may be in order. And, you know, that's something that you should talk to your vet. You should get them to check over this lump just to make sure that there's nothing else going on. There's no antibiotics that they need or there's no other treatment that they might consider. So, yeah, those are the things to consider if your dog or your cat gets a lump after they've had an injection. And then just remember that the information that I give on these podcasts is not a substitute for a consultation and examination with your pet's veterinarian and should not be taken as specific advice for any individual pet. If your pet is unwell, if they're injured or if they're suffering from any kind of problem, then talking to your vet is always going to be the best course of action. Ask your question at DrAlexAnswers.com. And then my final question is from Stacy, who says that her dog's anal glands have had to be expressed for about a year, anywhere from monthly to every eight weeks, eight to 10 weeks. Um, and her dog is still having cow pat poops. Should she increase the fibre in the diet? She eats a variety of things with kibble, uh, some treats with carrots and some greeny toothbrushing treats. Um, and also she's a Lassa Terrier mix. So, Anal glands, they can become impacted repeatedly for several different reasons. So loose stools certainly is one and is probably the most common one, certainly in my experience. You can also get blocked tubes. So the tube that leads from the anal sacs to the outside world, then they can become blocked. And that could be because there are deposits actually within the tube or there is inflammation kind of around the anal area that is compressing the tubes, making them more narrow and making them more likely to be blocked. And then finally, you can also get breed problems that just mean the tubes maybe uh, are coming out kind of wrong or they're a little bit kind of higgledy-piggledy, a bit wiggly um, and again narrow and causing problems there. So those are the big reasons that we can get anal gland impaction and need really frequent expression like Stacy's dog is needing. Now 
Persistent loose stools is a completely separate topic. That can be due to a number of different reasons. There's quite a lot of them. So we can have a food intolerance. Uh, we can have parasites. We can have various infections like Giardia. We can get inflammatory bowel disease uh, where the guts just aren't working properly. There are also hormonal problems can cause just a chronic diarrhea. And we could get organ disease such um, as exocrine pancreatic insufficiency where the pancreas just isn't producing enough digestive enzymes. And so we get a kind of a watery slop cow patty type poop which is what this dog's got so really we need to try and find out exactly why this dog's stools are abnormal why are they like cow pats because that's not normal for any length of time it might be you know in your dog that they have a little bit of a tummy upset they get into something that they shouldn't have eaten it tasted or it smelt nice at the time but it causes a little bit of a tummy upset but but really if the stools are loose for more than kind of a week or two that suggests that there is an underlying problem that's going to need more treatment than just time now getting to the bottom of the problem can sometimes be quite challenging and it can be a bit of a longer process as you work through a number of different either tests or different treatment trials and you know looking into it further can involve taking stool samples can involve trying different diets if we're changing diets we really need to give that a chance to work and so we're going to need to feed those for about you know six to eight weeks before we change to a different diet and we say that that one hasn't worked we can give parasite treatments we can take blood tests we can do imaging with x-rays and ultrasound so you can see there's a whole load of different things and even in the case of inflammatory bowel disease it might be that we end up needing to take biopsies of the intestine or having um, endoscopy to have a little look at what the lining of the intestines is looking like so you know that's a whole different category and like you can imagine it can take a long time and sometimes costs can add up in the majority of cases of course we're not going to have to do any of this at all it's going to be you know relatively quick and straightforward but there's the warning that it might not be now adding fiber can absolutely help uh, help to improve stool consistency again depending on the cause so fiber is really important for the colonocytes so the cells that line the colon so they require that to get their nutrition directly from the contents within the intestine so adding fiber absolutely can help and that can be by adding um, pumpkin uh, canned pumpkin bran um, or metamucil or something like that but absolutely you should talk to your vet to discuss this so to before before changing diet before adding anything to the diet because it isn't going to be appropriate in every single dog Um, you know if you're going to get your dog's anal glands expressed every you know anywhere from four to four to eight weeks you're going to be there relatively soon so you can have that chat discuss what it is you need to do what the next step is you know your vet will also or should also examine the dog in general have a feel of their belly listen to their heart take a history just to make sure that there's no other problems going on you know is there vomiting going on is there actually weight loss as well um, uh, is the dog drinking more or urinating more because all of these things might give clues to help guide what the next step is now the next thing to say is that regular expression while we're going through the investigation and treatment trials is clearly something that is going to need to be kept up because the last thing we want to develop is an abscess. So if the anal glands get really full and they're not expressed in time, they're going to start to become irritating, which is why dogs will scoot their bum along the ground or while they start chewing their back end. But also the contents will dry out uh, and they'll become infected and then they can actually burst and form really painful abscesses that then burst out through the skin kind of around the back end of a dog. So we don't want that to happen. We need to make sure that that regular expression is maintained. And also if we're expressing it regularly, then generally it's a very simple job. When the contents dries out or they become infected, some 
sometimes it can actually be quite challenging to express them by that time they're painful already so you know that's another thing that that that, that goes against the ease of expression and sometimes we'll need to actually sedate a dog so that we can express them and flush them properly so the bottom line is is if you've got a dog or if, if you've got a dog with any problem it might be that that problem is actually the result of another issue that needs to be investigated so in this case, you know, the anal glands are, uh, uh, are not being expressed naturally because the stool's loose. And so we need to look at why the stool's loose. It's a little bit like, say, with skin disease. Um, if you've got a dog who's itchy, well, that itching isn't the actual main cause. The problem might be that they've got an allergy. And so you need to tackle that allergy. So, you know, there's a few ideas there. But in the vast majority of cases, a few simple changes will be all that's needed to make sure that that anal gland expression isn't needed on a consistent basis. And so that's it for this episode of the podcast. Before I go, I just wanted, though, to read out this review from a fellow Alex who writes, My dog loves this because now I'm totally on the ball with all the health stuff. You don't know what you don't know. And it turns out that I didn't know a lot. So thanks for that review, Alex. Pleased to uh, pleased to hear that you're finding this informative, interesting and enjoyable. Now, make sure that you're subscribed as well. And if you do have a spare couple of minutes, I'd love it if you could leave me a review on the Apple, over at Apple Podcasts or over at rpetshealth.com slash review just to help more people discover this podcast and allow me to help more pets. Thank you so much. And until next time, take care. You've been listening to the Dr. Alex Answers Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and we'll see you on the next episode of the show where you ask the questions and Dr. Alex answers.